back of the Bible, Revelation chapter number 2. Revelation chapter number 2. Uh, this is, used to be the scary book for me, to be honest with you. Revelation scared me to death. You read about all this stuff that's happening and whatnot, but I'll be honest with you, you read the book of Revelation, you really see the love of our Father because he wants us to know what lies ahead and he wants us to know what we can be prepared for and what we can prevent and what we can't. And this morning we're going to look at something I believe is very important and uh, this is the same message I preached to our early service today and I hope our church will take this as a challenge and you allow the Holy Spirit to challenge us today. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I, I like saying what people like to hear when I can, uh, but be honest with you, sometimes the truth is just the truth, and you just got to put it out there, and we got to decide whether we want it or not. And I believe Revelation chapter 2, or chapter 3, I'm sorry, has some truth for us today. Uh, if we'll be willing to open our hearts and allow the Word of God to show us where we stand. You know, every time we come to the house of God, we've got to allow God to show us where we measure up in His Word. Because if you're not careful, you'll try to measure up to another standard that is faulty and comparing ourselves to ourselves is unwise. As we come to the house of God, God wants us to measure up. Uh, my daughter, just well, I guess the last house we lived in, she had uh, these little marks on the walls where she would measure how tall she was and see how much she had grown and how much she hadn't grown. And that's what the Word of God does for us. It shows us where we are and where we need to be. Revelation chapter number 3, let's stand together this morning and honor the reading of God's Word. Stretch our legs just for a little bit. Revelation chapter 3, you're going to pick up in verse 14 as we read about the church of Laodicea. And I believe you're going to hear some things very, very familiar to you uh, if, you'll, uh, if you'll just compare that in the world we're living in today. Revelation 3, 14, <clears throat> the Bible says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of thy mouth. That's rejection. Verse 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. And Lord, I'm so thankful this morning for how we can learn from, Lord, the mistakes of the past and learn from others who've gone before us. Thank you for preserving in your word, Lord, examples of just that. And I pray we would follow this church this morning and learn, Lord, a costly mistake that they have made and that we are going to make if we're not careful. I pray for every heart here today. I pray for every home here today. And I pray for our church collectively that you would work. And Lord, during the invitation time, help us respond, Lord, not just in word, but respond in our hearts. And help us be obedient to the leading of your spirit today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Revelation is a very interesting book. And uh, Revelation chapter 1 really gives us an explanation in verse number 1 what this tremendous book is all about. Verse 1 of chapter 1 says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants <clears throat> things which must shortly come to pass. 
Now, I'm glad this morning that our Father loves and cares enough about us to not just tell us how we should live and what we should do, but he shows us things that are to come. And he wants us to know things we can look forward to, both good and bad. He shows us the blessings of obedience, and he shows us what happens when we are not obedient. And we can read a little bit about churches and the, the church and churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. We read about these seven different churches that we can see all throughout history. And I told the early service this morning, I'm not going to get into the uh, dispensations debate to figure out when is which and how deep they go, but we can definitely see throughout history these seven churches representing different times in our history and the history of the world. You look and we see the church at Ephesus, excuse me, the church at Ephesus was a very backslidden church, and I think we can obviously see that. And we're going to see the church in Ephesus throughout every generation, but we can go back to the place and see the church at Ephesus, and then we have the church at Smyrna. The church at Smyrna was the persecuted church, and I love word studies, you know that, and you study that word out, the word Smyrna, it comes from the root word of the word myrrh, and that word myrrh, it's a spice, it gives off a fragrance, but it does not give off the fragrance until you crush it and you pulverize it, and then we see the word Smyrna, that was a persecuted church, and we had the church at Pergamos, which was adulterous, Thyatira was corrupt, Sardis was a dead church for all practical purposes, and the church at Philippi was, or or, or, sorry, Philadelphia was an evangelistic church. Now, I believe very closely we can see the church at Philadelphia and the church at Laodicea very clearly. We can see that there was a time of great harvest and evangelism uh, not long before uh, our generation came along. And yet now we're seeing a church that's very similar to the world we're living in today when you look at the church at Laodicea. So why is that? The word Laodicea is a word broken off into two parts. The word Leo means the people. The word Dicea means rights, if you will, or decisions. And the church of Laodicea is the church that is ruled by the rights and the rule of the people. The church of the Laodicea, the last church that will be on the planet earth, if you will, as a whole before the coming of Christ, is going to be the church of Laodicea, the church of the rights and the rule of the people. And is that not a picture of the church that we're living in today? We're not living in a church that is ruled by the word of God. We're living in a church age where for the most part, the church does exactly what the church wants to do. And you look at our country today. What is our country's mantra and what is is everything about in the world we live in today? It's about the rights and the rule of the people, my rights and what I have the opportunity and the privilege to do. Now, I understand that for the world. understand that. I believe there's a grave and there should be a great difference between the church and the world. I expect the world to plead for their rights, and we've given rights now to murder babies in the wombs of their mothers. Uh, We've given rights, and we call marriage what God did not call marriage, and all of those things now are considered rights. Now, I expect the world to act that way, but I do not expect the church to act that way. By the way, neither does God. And just because the world calls something a right does not make it right. Could we agree on that this morning? Just because we have rights as an American, it doesn't mean it is right according to the word of God. And just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do something. But here's what I fear. I fear because just because the world says it's okay and the world calls it a right and we may even have that on the books as law in the United States of America, we must understand that cannot permeate the church. That even though the world calls something a right, what God calls right is ultimately what is right and what is wrong. And as the church, that's what we must stand upon. But I see even in the church today, 
We are debating about things in the church that God has already settled as right and God has already settled as wrong. And understand this, this is a picture of the church at Laodicea. And you're thinking to yourself, absolutely, there's no way that we could call murdering babies in their mother's room a right. God calls that wrong. And the world, well, no matter what the world says, we're going to call it wrong. All right, we agree with that. And we're going to call marriage what God calls marriage between a man, one man, and one woman, because that's what God calls is right. The world's got it wrong on that, and we agree on that. But I fear when we look within the church and the church homes today, there's a lot of things we're giving ourselves a pass on that God still calls wrong. And what we're allowing is the culture of the world to where the world gets to pick what they call right. I mean, where have we ever thought that killing a baby in its mother's womb, would that be called a right? But we call that a right. And you're thinking, boy, how can we do that? It's the same way we do it. You see, the difference in the world and the church today is we just pick different things of what we excuse. The world's decided they're going to call abortion a right, and they're going to call homosexual marriage a right, even though God calls it wrong, and we stand against that. But I assure you, on a daily basis, most Christians pick and choose from the Word of God what they're going to do is right and what they're going to do is wrong. We pick and choose through that. But I believe this morning we as the church, the Word of God spells this out, we have a higher calling for our conviction, a higher calling. What did the Bible say the law was? Well, the law was if you were ordered by a Roman soldier to tell a Jew to go one mile, what did Jesus say? Go with him twain. He says you have a higher calling. If he asks you for your coat, you give him your cloak as well. He says my people and those that represent me should have a higher calling. And even though society calls this right, I want you to go above and beyond. And I fear many things that's going on in America today have become contrary to the word of God. And we as the people of God are accepting them because the world's accepting them. This morning I want to preach a very simple message. Very simple message on when rights become wrong. When rights become wrong. Now folks, we're going to look this morning at the conflict of where our Christian character butts heads with our culture that we're living in. Understand the character that we are defined to have as the people of God should be different than the character and the culture that is espoused by the world. But we're allowing that to slowly enter in. And this is the ingredients that creates the church of Laodicea. That Notice what the Bible says at the end of verse number 16. Notice what he says he does with that church. I will spew thee out of my mouth. This morning, if you're not careful, you'll allow what our culture has accepted to influence our character. And so this morning, I'm going to show you four things of how we get to that place and what we've got to do to keep from staying there. Look down, if you will, in verse number 17. I want to show you where it begins. The Bible says, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods. And notice the first mistake this church is making. This church is making the mistake of diagnosing who they are and where they stand. This church is making the mistake of telling God who they are rather than let God tell them who they are supposed to be. And you're thinking to yourself, I know. Can you believe this church has the audacity to tell God who they are and what they're going to be? But I assure you, we do this on a daily basis. And it's the first step to becoming this church of Laodicea that's going to usher in the coming of Christ. Notice the first mistake is the voice of the people. The Bible says in verse 17, because thou sayest... The church at Laodicea had come to replace their opinion for their obedience. And I want to tell you, that's the first thing that will corrupt your heart, your home, and your church. 
is when you decide, I want to start telling God what I want to do and who I want to be and where we want to go and the direction we decide to have rather than what God has already outlined and preserved for us in his word. He tells the church at Laodicea, you make me sick. Is that not what he's saying? I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. My wife doesn't like sushi. I'm working on that. But, you know, it takes some people time to grow into the more mature taste palates. And I took her to a restaurant in Monroe that sells really good sushi. They have a crawfish sushi. Brother Jim, it's out of this world. And I'm telling her how good it is. And boy, my wife, she puts that sushi in her mouth. And you would have thought it was 5,000 degrees because it came out of her mouth as quick as it went in. She says, you lied to me. I said, how did I lie to you? She says, this stuff is nasty. And she, she, um, she did it politely. Or She's looking at me right now. Oh, I'm getting the eyebrow right now. She spit it out. It made her sick. And this is what God says about the church at Laodicea. See, I spew you out of my mouth. Why did he spew them out of their mouth? Because they had heeded to the voice of the people. They had decided, you know what? We can make up our minds for who we are, where we stand, and what we should do. And God says, that makes me sick when my people substitute opinion for obedience. This is what the world does. You know, there were some long-standing morals that we had in America that we lived by, but all of those have gone out the window. Why? Because we have a differing opinion. We decided we want to do what we want to do. And we see how well that's working out. And God says, I want you to know, one of the first things that will begin to implode your life and your home and your heart is when you start substituting opinion of what thou sayest over what obedience is according to the word of God. Turn with me to your left, back to the Old Testament, Isaiah 14. I want to show you something this morning that you should be aware of. Something that happens oftentimes when uh, folks will call and ask for advice or counsel. Uh, I'll listen to them and I'll share with them the word of God. And they'll say, I know, but. I know, but. And so I'm a good person or I don't do this or I think this. Be careful. Be careful with what you have to say. Overriding what God has already said. I want you to pick up verse number 13 of chapter 14 in Isaiah, and I want to read about someone that you'll know very well. The Bible says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also on the mount of the congregation in the sides of the, of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Who are we speaking of? We're speaking of Satan himself. Notice all of the eyes that are there. And the key words is verse 13, for thou hast said in thine heart. Can I tell you, this was the beginning of the end of Satan. This is when Satan decided what I'm going to do and what I think I ought to do and the place that I think that I ought to be. Be careful in giving yourself bad advice. We're very good at that. The beginning of the downfall of America and the beginning of the downfall of your home and the beginning of your spiritual downfall is when you start substituting your opinion to what thus saith the Lord. Some of the worst advice I've ever gotten is advice that I've given myself. I told the early service this morning, I love going through wards and getting a little one. It's a little one, but it's a big problem, isn't it? It's a big problem. It can become a big problem. And you go through there and you know it's not good. It's got chili that when you take the top of the bun off, the bun is orange. I mean, it is orange. That's why heart doctors make so much money. I mean, I think wards and heart doctors are in cahoots together. I honestly do. 
And you know that's not good, but you tell yourself, you know what, I really need that. You're giving yourself bad advice. It's not good for you. Folks, we do this all the time in our own life. I'll give you a good example. The other day, I was cooking burgers for my wife. She wanted a Hawaiian burger. We were in California, and they put weird stuff on their burger, like pineapples. And my wife loves pineapples on her burgers, as weird as that is. So I'm going to make her a Hawaiian burger. And we keep bacon grease in our refrigerator. Anybody else do that? Amen. Get it up high. Come on. Don't be ashamed of it. All right. Amen. All right. I felt bad there for a second thinking, we're the only people that do that. And so I saw the jar of bacon grease in our refrigerator. I said, boy, a little bit of that bacon grease in over that burger. Ooh, that's going to make a Hawaiian burger taste just right. And so I get me a big old spoonful of it and just drop it down in there. It starts melting in there. I'm like, boy, this is going to be good. And I'm thinking, boy, the, the bacon grease must be old because it's just, a, it's just not smelling right. And when I went to flip the burger, it stuck to the spatula, and I tried to get it off the spatula, and it's just this gummy, webby mess, and I'm thinking, I have never seen bacon grease do this before. Come to find out, it wasn't bacon grease. What was it? Cream of coconut. (laughs) It was more Hawaiian than I thought it was going to be. It tasted like pineapple and coconut together. And here was the mistake. I looked in the refrigerator and I said, you know what? That's the bacon grease. That's what I need. I took it out, took the lid off, put it in the pan. And it was a Hawaiian burger way farther than she ever thought it was going to be. But I got it wrong. I thought and I acted upon what I thought and I messed it up. Actually, they didn't taste that bad. You ought to try it sometime. It might just enlighten your world just a little bit. But I had it wrong. I thought I was right. And I acted upon what I thought and I messed it up. And can I tell you, that's what's going to mess up this church. When we start substituting what we think and our opinion according to what God says. God tells the church at Laodicea, the reason you're in this mess, it's the first three words of verse 17. Because thou sayest. That's why you're in this mess. America is not in this shape because we've been living according to what thus saith the Lord. America's in the shape it's in today because we're living according to what thus saith us and what we say. And God says, for that reason, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. What happened to Peter when Jesus says, you're going to deny me? Oh, Peter, no, no, no. Jesus says, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as weed. And Peter says, I, I'm ready to go with you to prison. I'm ready to go with you to death. And what did he do? He did exactly what Christ said he would do. He denied him. What happened in the book of Judges when Samson gave up his strength? He rose up and he says, I will go. I will. I'll go in my own power. How did that work out from Samson? The same way it's going to work out for our families and our homes when we think that we can go by what we say in our opinion instead of what thus saith the Lord. It's a dangerous place this morning when the voice of the people begins outweighing the voice of God. And I want to tell you something. I'm just an observer, but I see it in our homes and I hear it in our kids. You can tell the voice of the people is louder than the voice of God. You can tell it. You can listen to the conversation. You watch our kids. Just watch. You can just learn a lot by watching. I used to love to go to the mall before it got so weird and sit in the food court and eat food while my wife was shopping and watch people. It's like a national pastime. People watching. There's some weird people in this town, in this building, but there's some weird in this town too. <laughs> and you're sitting there watching people and they're not telling me what they believe. They're not wearing a shirt that says, I believe this, this, and this, and here's my personal convictions, but you just watch and you just listen and you can tell what's influencing their life. And the sad thing is most, if not many of them, are Christians, professing Christians. 
So how can somebody live a life like that and act like that? It's because they're not living by what thus saith the Lord. They're living by what thou sayest. Why did Aaron make the golden calf? Here comes down Moses, and boy, Moses is mad when he comes down. What on earth are you doing? And Aaron starts saying, the people. Aaron knew what he was supposed to do, but he allowed the influence of the people to influence his character on what he was supposed to do. And oh, what a mess he made. Why? Number one, because of the voice of the people. But watch where it goes from here. Keep reading in verse number 17. Going to hurry. The Bible says, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Notice quickly, the Bible says, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Now, here's what's interesting. The church has their say. The church says, here's who we are. We are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And I assure you this, listen, you can have your say, but understand this this morning. God gets the last word. God always gets the last word. Look, I, don't, I, I told the early service this morning, and here I go saying that again. My wife's going to tell me after the church. You said I said the early service too many times. But I was telling the early service this morning, I don't relish in the thought of anyone dying and going to hell, and neither should you. Even the most left-wing politicians up there in Washington who are for murdering babies in their mother's womb and are totally undermining this great country that we're living in, I don't want them to die and go to hell. And I listen to them spew out their hatred and their wickedness and their idolatry and their immorality, and I listen to that. And I'm thinking to myself, you have your say here, but I assure you God's going to get the last word. Regardless of what we say. And look, you can build your home and you can live your life according to what thou sayest. But please understand, God's going to get the last word and watch what he does. The church gets the first half of verse 17. God gets the second half. And I want you to notice number two this morning, the verdict of God. Notice the verdict of God. God says, I have rejected you because this is who you really are. Now folks, in the end, all that's going to matter is what God says. That's all that's going to matter. I mean, I have an opinion. If you'd like to know my opinion on anything, I'll even give you an opinion on things I don't know about. I do it all the time. But in the end, my opinion doesn't matter. Your opinion doesn't matter. All that matters is what thus saith the Lord and what God says. And they said, this is who we are. God says, no, you're not. This is who you really are. But I want you to understand is something very important. God is going to be the one who strikes the final gavel. And God's going to give the final verdict on who we are and where we stand. And the judgment is in the hand of God. The judgment of our hearts and our homes, our church and our country, that's in the hand of God. There's nothing we're going to say going to change God's mind. That's why we get in line with him. Don't expect him to get in line with us. That's not going to happen. But turn to chapter 2. I want you to see something. Chapter 2 and verse number 5. I want you to see what happens when God gives his verdict. The Bible says, when he's speaking to the church at Ephesus, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. And repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick. God says you make me sick and if you don't repent I'm going to remove your candlestick. You know what the candlestick was? Obviously candlestick gives light. That's opportunity. God says I've given you opportunity but I'll come along and remove your opportunity if you keep substituting your opinions for my obedience. And this is what God's going to do to our church if we don't stick by the word of God and what thus saith the Lord and what we do and how we do it. This is so many churches today, it's easy to compromise. It's so easy because you give in so people will like you. And believe it or not, I like being liked. You're saying, well, you went into the wrong profession. Really do. I like being liked 
But at the end, sometimes preaching the truth of the word of God, people don't like that and they're going to get mad. But at the end, I have to give an account to God, not account to them. And by the way, it's the same one you're going to give an account to. And so our goal should be making sure we please God. Because if we don't, what is he going to do? He's going to remove our candlestick. For 70 years, Central Baptist Church has been a candlestick in this area. We've given light. We've been an influence to this area. But understand, we're not immune to the immorality of the culture that seeks to permeate its way in here. By allowing the opinions of the world to be substituted for obedience to God. 1 Samuel chapter 15, I'll read this for you so we can move on this morning. But I want to read a missed opportunity for you. I hate missed opportunities. I really do. I hate when one person's invited me out to eat. And I've already told somebody else I'm going to go out to eat with them. Because I feel like I've missed an opportunity. So people need to start giving rain checks, you know. Write up a rain check where I can cash it in later. So I didn't miss it. But I want to read about one of the worst uh, missed opportunities in Scripture. First Samuel chapter 15, we read where Saul has not completely obeyed God. And we're going to read where, where Saul's kingdom is taken away from him by Samuel. But I want you to listen close why he did what he did. 1 Samuel 15, verse 24. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord. And thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Folks, can I tell you, mom, dad, church member, American, you're going to come to the place where you have to decide whose voice you're going to live by. It's so easy to allow our children to fit in with this world and want to raise our children where the world's going to like them. But the sad thing is we're raising them to be liked by a world that's going to devour them. It's like making friends with a lion or with a tiger. It's going to devour them one day. So all that should matter is that we raise our children, build our homes, and lead our church by the very word of God. God's verdict has got to be the only one that matters. Or else we will become the church of Laodicea and miss our opportunity. I've been to churches, and I can't say this, but I want to give you my opinion. I've been to churches that I believe have lost their candlestick. They've lost their opportunity. Ichabod is on the door. The Lord's departed from that place. It's just as dead and cold. I've preached at places I could not wait to get out the door. I've preached at a lot of places where they couldn't wait to get out the door from me, but I've preached at a few churches where I couldn't wait to get out the door from them. Why? The Spirit of God was not there. Why? Because the opportunity was gone. Why? God removed his candlestick. Why? Because they substituted their opinions for their obedience. The parable of the talents in Matthew 25, those talents basically represent opportunity, don't they? He said, here's you an opportunity, here's you an opportunity, and here's you an opportunity. Some were bigger than others, but all gave, were given an opportunity. And the one that buried his talent did it out of fear. And he missed and he lost his opportunity. Now, folks, I want you to understand the same reason he lost his opportunity, the same reason we're going to lose ours. Is because we're going to substitute what we think in our opinion rather than what our master has told us to do. My desire is that Central Baptist Church make it another 70 years. If the Lord tarries another 70 years, which I doubt, I wouldn't bet another 70 days. I'm just being flat honest with you. I've been working on some messages later. And I'm thinking, I may never get to preach these. I'm going to leave them for the guy that comes behind me. I'm just going to leave them on the desk for him. We're raptured out of here. He can get up here and he can preach all he wants. Folks, listen to me. When the trump of God sounds and the Lord calls us home, all that will matter to you is that you lived according to the verdict of God, not the voice of the people. Because I assure you, the voice of the people is getting it, getting it very, very wrong in the world we're living in today. 
First Corinthians chapter 9, I was reading about the Apostle Paul, and where the Apostle Paul says, I keep under my body and bring into subjection. Paul's speaking of a tussle and a struggle. Is it not a struggle to keep this body in its place? Is it a struggle to keep this flesh where it belongs? And Paul says, I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. What is he saying? He says there's a temptation for this flesh to try to overrule. This flesh wants to lead the way. This flesh wants to tell me where to go and what to do. And Paul says, I keep under it and I bring it. It's a struggle and it's a battle. And I assure you, it's the same struggle and battle that you and I face with our culture today. You're going to have to keep under it and bring it or it will bring you. And I see a lot of families today being led about by the nose, by the world and the culture that we're living in. All because why? We're more concerned with the voice of the people than the verdict of God. Jeremiah chapter 5 is a wonderful passage of scripture that really gives us a great picture of America. In verse number 31, I want to encourage you when you get home, go home and read it. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 5, 31. Let me read it for you right quick and tell me if this does not sound like our country today. The Bible says the prophets prophesy falsely. The priests to bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. Notice that. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. What does that mean? We love for people to tell us what we want to hear. There's churches all over this country this morning that you can go to, and they'll tell you exactly what you want to hear, but not what you need to hear. And what you need to hear is the verdict of God. That's what we all need. What's, what is it that's going to set us free, the Bible says? It's the truth, and the truth doesn't always feel good. But understand this. Do you know what we're going to face when we stand before God? The truth. We're not going to face the warm and fuzzy words that made us feel good down here and made us feel accepted by the world we're living in. It's the verdict of God that must matter, not the voice of the people. But I want, to, I want you to see why they did this this morning. Why they did this. The answer is very simple. If you'll look down in verse number 17... There's three words I want you to see right after the semicolon. The Bible says, and knowest not, and knowest not. You see, the reason they'd given into opinion rather than obedience is number three, the void of understanding. It's because of what they didn't know. You see, what's sad today is we know more about what the culture wants than what our father wants. Let me tell you why ignorance is not bliss. I'm not sure what bliss is. Uh, we celebrated 15 years of uh, marriage on Thursday, and I told somebody, it's been 15 years of what is bliss. I think I need to look at what bliss means before I keep saying that. I hope bliss is a good thing. It sounds like a scary word, but 15 years of wedded bliss. Now, oftentimes we use that word to describe ignorance. Ignorance is bliss. I want you to understand, spiritually, it's not. Because ignorance is no excuse when God has already told you what he knows. You see, we operate more based off of what the world knows than what God has already t said to us on how he should have us to live. And as Hosea says, my people are perishing for why? For lack of knowledge. We don't know. We're more familiar with the culture. Like I said, young people, usually in the summertime, I spend a lot of time preaching to young people at our camps. And all I can do is watch and listen. You can tell they've got the world's culture all over them. They're humming their tunes. They're doing their dances. You can hear them referencing things that are off television shows they shouldn't be watching. You can see the culture's all over them. And they know more about that than they know about the Word of God. And by the way, mom and dad, that falls to you. That falls to you. He says, look, your church is in a mess. Why? Because of what you don't know. And the reason they didn't know it is because they didn't care to know it. 
Because God's preserved his word for us, and ignorance is not going to be bliss. Ignorance is not an excuse, because God took all the time and care to have this pinned and preserved for us. And so when we stand before him, we're not going to be able to say, I didn't know. I didn't know how to raise my kids right. I didn't know that I should keep my kids separated from the world. I didn't know this is how you wanted me to live. He's going to say, no, it's no excuse, because I preserved it for you. Hosea chapter 2 the Bible tells us a wonder, gives us a wonderful illustration of what we do. The Bible talks about Israel, says she's chased after her lovers. She left God, and she chased after her lovers. And you read in verse number 8, the Bible says, she did not know that I was the one who gave her the corn, that I was the one who gave her the oil, that I was the one who gave her the blessings. And she went off and she chased her lovers. Spiritual idolatry and adultery is what he's saying. He says, she didn't know that I was the one who blessed her all along. And boy, don't we see America today? America's chasing everything under the sun, not realizing it was God who gave it to us all along. Folks, can I beg you this morning, please don't fall victim of what you don't know. Please don't become a victim of your own ignorance. He's telling the church, you're in the shape that you're in, or I'm going to spew you out of my mouth because of what thou knowest not. I'm thankful for the rights that we have and as an American, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for the liberty and freedom that we have to live, to raise our children, to build our homes in this wonderful country that we have. But I want you to understand something. The rights that we have as an Americans will never trump what the Word of God has outlined is right. Never. No matter if this country that I love starts calling abominations right, it still doesn't make it right. That's when rights become wrong because ultimately what is right is what thus saith the Lord. And that's what we've got to stand on. Or I assure you, this church is gone. You're going to see this church over the years be tempted to give in to the culture and owe our children how we've got to pray for them and prepare them. They need to know this or else they're going to implode to the culture that's coming on around them. We see it in a lot. Old Lot knew what he was supposed to do, but he was influenced by the culture. Finally, I want to give you some good news before we close this morning. The Bible says in verse number 19, he ends on a high note. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now, I want you to understand something this morning. When you start reading verse number 17, you're thinking God's building up. He's fixing to pop them, you know? You know how sometimes you got to make yourself mad before you can say things you really want to say? All right, God's not like us, okay? Verse 17, he says, he says, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. You're thinking, yeah, they're done. They're done. They're toast. God's fixing to nuke them right here. But we see the long-suffering, the mercy, and the grace of God in giving them an opportunity to repent, and that's number four. Notice when we read verse 19, he says, Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Notice a vision of repentance. A vision of repentance. Boy, this is a word we don't use much in our culture anymore. Even behind the pulpits anymore, we don't talk about repentance. And people needing to repent. Repentance is simply turning from that direction you're going, turning inwardly, and that turning inwardly should turn you outwardly. I don't put a whole lot of stock in this cheap repentance that is just in word only. Real repentance will turn you inwardly and then turn you outwardly. And notice what he says. It's because I love you. I'm giving you the opportunity to change. Wow. God's giving an opportunity to change. He says, you're miserable. You are wretched. And you're thinking, God's drawing back his lightning bolt. He's fixing to get them. 
He says, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to turn around. You know what God's basically saying? You're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. But I want you to understand, you don't have to stay that way. You don't have to stay that way. Aren't you glad that we serve a merciful and long-suffering God? I don't understand it. I get mad at people for going slow in the fast lane. You know that very well. We're leaving here on Tuesday morning. I drove back for something, drove back to where we were preaching at, and I got behind somebody right there in front of Hattiesburg Cycles. I hope it wasn't one of you. I really do. Because I was right on your bumper. I was like, I got to preach tonight. Well, was that one of y'all? Was that you, Brother Lee? Somebody I heard somebody say, yeah, was that y'all? I hope not. I'm going to start using rental cars where nobody knows who it is when I get on their bumper. And I'm just getting, just getting all, I mean, I just hit the top of a hat. I'm not very long-suffering. And yet we see here that a church could be wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And God says, I'll give you a chance to turn. But here's the key, and we're going to be done. The key is in the words in verse 18, I counsel thee. You see, we're going to have to turn back to his counsel. What's gotten us into this mess is substituting opinion for obedience. And he says, the only way to turn from your opinion is to turn back to my counsel. What is his counsel? His counsel is the word of God. How convenient Do we have a copy of what God wants us to do and how God wants us to live? It's almost like having an open book test. But the key is in repentance. Folks, if there was ever a time the church needed to be standing fast, it's now. The church has got to take our position on being obedient to the word of God. And we've got to brace ourselves from the onslaught and the pressure of the culture that is about to push in on us. But not only our church, your family does. And look, dads, look, we're going to stand before God, dads, husbands. And it's our job to make sure that we are reinforcing and preparing our home to stand with Christian character in the midst of a corrupt culture that's going to try to push in on us. Because when the home gives way, I assure you, the church is right behind it. Because what is the church? It's just homes. There's a home here and a home there and a home there and a home there. And if our homes cannot hold up against the culture, there's no hope for Central Baptist Church. But God's given us an opportunity. Boy, God's given us a lampstand. God's given us a candle stand to stand there and to be a light to have an opportunity to influence this world that right now needs it more than ever. Think about it. I told a preacher the other day, I said, boy, it scares me watching what's going on in our world. You know, not sure what to do, and you just want to get on an airplane and go to some deserted island with you and your family and just hug them, you know? I said, but on the flip side, I'm excited to be alive right now. Why? Because God chose us for such a time as this. God says, I've got, a, I got some people in place, and it's called Central Baptist Church. And I want Central Baptist Church to be salt and light. Salt and light are influencers, I want Central Baptist Church to influence Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and the state of Mississippi during this time. But I assure you, we will lose our candlestick if we give way to the culture in place of our character. So this morning, we as the people of God cannot allow what the world calls right to be substituted for what God has already established as right. And I assure you this morning, you're not only going to have to stand, but notice what the Bible says in Ephesians, you're going to have to do all to stand And so my prayer for our church this morning is simply this. In spite of what the world calls right, we're going to do what God calls right. We're going to raise our children, we're going to build our homes, and we're going to have a church here that keeps its influence because we're going to stand on what thus saith the Lord. 
And this morning, what we've got to decide to do is we've got to decide to play our part by making sure we stand there personally. So our heads bowed and eyes.